Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, your Swansea City podcast. I'm Matt Barocco and I'm joined as ever by Steve Carroll. Evening, Steve. Evening. <laughs> it's been a little while. Um, we did say at the end of the last podcast, we wait to see what happens. And you know when like something happens, you go, oh, it's probably not enough information there to do anything about. And then a little bit more happened. And then nothing happened for about two or three weeks, Steve, with the Russell Martin saga. So we were just sitting on it. And now all of a sudden, everything is happening and we've missed the boat. And now we're going to have to do a bumper podcast, split it into two and and, and send it out separately because there's just so much to cram in now. Um, every day seems to be a new story with the Swans. Things are starting to move. Yeah, it feels like it, doesn't it? I mean, we've, we've been a bit unlucky, haven't we? I mean, obviously, we'll, we were waiting for a certain club to, to cough up and not piss about and then around that time, I went on all day, and then you went on all day, and it's a case of now we've got to catch up on everything, isn't it? But um, yeah, things have moved quite quickly now with with other things since then, haven't they? So um, yeah, a lot to um to discuss. Absolutely, I think what we decided, or rather, what you said before we start recording is let's get this in half, Matt, because we're not going to be able to cover everything. We're not going to be able to do justice to what's gone on if we just chuck an hour episode out and try and catch up on the last six or seven weeks. That wouldn't be fair. So what we're going to do is we're going to go right the way up to Michael Duff's appointment. So if you're not interested in that side of things and you think that water under the bridge, part two will be coming and we'll be covering everything since Michael Duff got announced. But there's still so much to talk about from before that time that we were just leaving to build up so we could do a podcast worth. So that's what this is. This part one is going to be talking about from the end of last season, essentially, right the way through up until Michael Duff's appointment. And... um, well, the big story of the summer, probably the biggest managerial story outside of the Premier League, Steve. In fact, it was covered in discussions all over the country. What is happening with Russell Martin to Southampton? The people who aren't, relate, or aren't involved in either club were saying, this, has he not gone? It's been going on forever. What's going on? And the whole holdup was hugely frustrating, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, look... We've been there before with managers being poached by clubs. It is frustrating. But, you know, it is part of the game, so you just accept it. Um, all you really ask for then is that, you know, the, the club goes down the proper channels and, you know, everything is decided amicably and there's no arse in us. And it just feels as if Southampton really were piss takers throughout the whole thing, trying to pay less money because of, you know, the wording of a contract, I guess, is is how the best to describe it. I mean, It'll get sorted one way or the other in the end. But, um, I mean, look, they made an approach, you know, while before the Premier League season had even ended, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And that, when the speculation went really intense. And you're thinking, well, look, you're obviously a Premier League club. I mean, you've been a very arsey year. And then it dragged on for so long. And you're just thinking the whole thing needs sorting. So really disappointed with Southampton and the way that they've they've dealt with it, really. I mean, look, it's when you lose a manager, it is tough to take. And, you know, it is a big upheaval for the club. So you really shouldn't then be, you know, messing about so much. I mean, you look at most of the other ones when our managers have been taken, they have they have been done in quite a clean way. I mean, maybe the Wigan one was a bit of a hold-up. And I, I remember uh, good old Brenda being in the news conference on her own because, um, right. you know, um, it hadn't quite been sorted. But um, most of the others have been, you know, relatively straightforward. I think with Rogers, for example, the release clause was was paid, Sousa. Um, I think we probably couldn't believe our luck that some of the <laughs> Potter as well was fairly straightforward. 
Yeah, and then well, I suppose Porter was was disappointing really, wasn't it? But it was, but, but think, it, yeah, yeah. But think, you know, again, Brighton dealt with it, you know, reasonably well, and it was all done and dusted within a few days. I mean, you don't expect this thing to happen within 24 hours, but I mean, you know, it did take over a month in the end, didn't it, or close to about that? And you're just thinking that really is, you know, a pistic Southampton as well, not a club without money. They put a lot of money in today. Now we miss you with more shares and. The fact that obviously they'll be on parachute payments, they've been on a lot of money in the Premier League, and you just think you're really taking the piss over what is minimal numbers, really, but money that you know it sounds like we erode. So, you know, very disappointed by them, and um, you know, I hope they have a miserable season to be honest with you. Yeah, it does leave that taste in the mouth. You know, if you haven't aren't aware of the in 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 the details of it, well, first of all, Nigel Pearson would call you an ostrich, but secondly, um, the argument, as Steve said, was over the compensation amount due, 1.25 to a championship club or £2 million to a Premier League club. Um, so, I um, see Southampton arguing that they were a championship club when they actually approached to or actually offered the contract to Russell Martin. Well, they held off on that in the end because of the argument. They don't doubt if Swans had showed little resistance they'd have been in that door before the end of the last end of last season and just hoped that we'd accept 1.25. It was the Swans who, to be fair, Steve, have been they're probably in football circles now, kind of known for a few years now as a bit of a light touch. Um, tend to take the first offer coming in for players and stuff. We tend to roll over and have our bellies tickled. And, um, and the pre-planning and stuff and everything just seems to go out the window. And there's a lot of hot air around what is everything's going on at the club. But this instance, and indeed what we've seen since then, suggests there's a bit of a more, um, a stronger approach and a bit more of a professional outfit going on at the club at the moment. We weren't going to be taken for mugs in this. No, I th- and I agree with that. I mean, like you say, our approach has been quite poor, isn't it, over a lot of things recently, particularly with players. I mean, players go in at the last minute for knockdown prices, and, you know, in in football, people talk inevitably. And when you develop a certain reputation, then, you know, it can be hard to shake it. And clubs will try and test your resolve with it. But, look, we, we did the right thing. We we dug our heels in, even though I think, if I'm honest, I think the club would not for Martin to stay. I think, you know, there wasn't really any talk of a new deal. Or I suppose there was, it was mentioned, but there was nothing put to him. I mean, look, I remember when Porter left, as an example. I think Birch put a statement out saying... Look, we, we we offered him more money, we offered him a better contract, and we offered to back him within reason of our finances. You know, thinking, well, you can't really do more than that. And at the end of the day, he decided to go to Brighton, and you know, you can't really blame him on that either because it was an opportunity to go up a division. In the same way that now for Martin, it might not be up a division, but it's going to be a bigger budget as we've seen today. They've just bought someone from Man City, a youngster for 15 million. We're not getting near that, are we? Um, and obviously, it'll be more money for himself. It'll be the opportunity to work with better players. I mean, look, realistically, at that point, it is going to be difficult to to keep somebody. But I don't really think we tried. That's the truth. I think that what happened in January, where you know we didn't bring anybody in, and then Martin did the press conference and effectively blamed the owners, even though he wasn't wrong. I don't think uh, that wouldn't have gone down well. And you you get the impression then, don't you, that um, you know the the relationship really had, had maybe broken down and yeah the the writing was on the wall then wasn't it you think yeah the, the bizarre thing is obviously we were on such poor form 
mm. that could have been sacked. He on was, that and then obviously we went on a brilliant run, didn't we? And it probably left them in a bit of a, a predicament, really. Um, but then the predicament was taken away because, you know, another club have, have come in for him. But look, we did the right thing in terms of trying to hold out for the release clause. I mean, you know, that's, that's what it's there for at the end of the day. Um, whether we get it or not, we'll have to see. But look, it does feel as if things have, you know, may have changed a little bit. I mean, we'll we'll probably go on to discuss more of that, I would have thought, mm. um, in part two, won't we? But um, yeah, look, we, we were absolutely within our rights to to ask for that. And let's hope the contract stands up. And if it does, then obviously, um, you know, we'll be um, getting more compensation than, um, than we currently are. Because I'm assuming at the moment they've settled on the lower one just to sort of get the deal done. And, um, you know, it'll be thrashed out in the courts then a little bit later on. Well, you know, what's interesting is obviously there are rules around tapping up and stuff. It's one of those things in football, which every, everyone knows happens. It goes on. But if the end result is team A get the money for person A, whatever, from the other team, then it just never gets reported. It never gets goes any further than that. Everyone just walks away from it. But if Southampton do dig their heels in and say no, and, and, and obviously Swans are taking legal advice on this and, real, and, and being told that they have a very strong case here, then if the presentation to the EFL is this has been this person's regulation, so and so, whatever about um, illegal contact of you know a, a staff member without permission then um, you end up in a position where the lawmakers have to decide whether they're going to bend their own law or enforce it. it just, it's a messy, messy situation. Um, and as far as we're aware, it's still awaiting resolution. So I think this is going to go to the courts um, to, to be sorted out. Uh, the situation with Russell Martin, as you said, Steve, was a messy one. One thing I would really scratch my head over is how... An ownership which had fallen out with a manager probably could have sacked him based on um, the breakdown in the relationship anyway. Then had the horrendous run, so had a gift-wrapped excuse to sack him and then still didn't sack him and then get to the end of the season, have the upturn in form, miss out on the playoffs by a couple of points and then seemingly not offer him a new deal. Um, the whole situation has been mismanaged from the uh, the start of January right the way through to the summer. Um, do you think that Russell Martin would have stayed if he'd been offered a contract? Because I have doubts over this. I mean, he'd still have had to have worked with some of the guys that are still here, you know? It's a tough one to say, really. I mean, look, I, I do think there's a chance that he may have done. He did seem to be the, you know, like it here. I mean, he put out a nice statement. I know people often do, but it did feel like it was a genuine one that when, when he did go. I mean, but it's it's hard to say. I I think realistically he's probably done the right thing because the owners here had hacked him off. He's been offered more money, chance to work with better players on a bigger budget. Yeah, closer to where he's from in Brighton. In reality, it's a no-brainer for him. He's probably done the right thing. But I mean, you you don't know, do you? I mean, he he may have wanted to to stay and obviously felt he was building something. And you know, in in truth, I do actually think the way we ended last season, I did feel like we may have clicked because. In that run in October, I didn't really feel so much that. I thought there were a lot of games that maybe, you know, could have gone either way and we we, we made them count for us. But I did feel that in that run at the end, and nearly all the games that we won, we did actually deserve to win. And quite a few of them we won convincingly. So, yeah, the penny had dropped to a point. Um, so maybe he felt he was onto something good and may have considered staying. But look, um, 
the decision was 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 made for Southampton to come in from and then it is what it is really isn't it but um yeah it's I suppose it's um it's a funny one really if we look back at his time in charge isn't it it's you know last season in particular one of the most bizarre seasons I can remember in terms of bad and good runs and not much in between but then obviously you end up in the middle then so yeah um I think that's probably I will assess it when there were there were good and bad things during that time but I mean, we've got to be realistic about it. Martin did come in when we were in a you know a far harder financial position than we've been for a long time, and you know we did you know sort of steady the ship to a point. There were mistakes made, without a doubt. But um, you know, I think we're in a better position now than what we were when he took the job. You know, that might sound crazy on the face of it because we lost the playoff final. But got to remember then a lot of those players were lone players. One or two of them, two of the high-profile ones like AU, they were out of contract. So we were in a position, really, of a big rebuild on a significantly less budget, which is precisely why Steve uh, Cooper decided to walk away because um, he knew that we weren't going to be as good and it would have impacted his reputation. So, um, you know, um, I do think we've been left in a better position, haven't we? Yeah, I think absolutely. With, with the situation we were left in after Steve Cooper left, I think is well documented now, isn't it? You've got the fact that we had all these expensive loans that were returning to their clubs, um, players leaving left, right and centre, but also um, we we had that brand of football change as well, didn't we, which was significant. And we will talk about Michael Duff and what his brand of football we expect from him in the next podcast. Um, so keep an eye out for that. But um, there was, when Russell Martin arrived a couple of days before the first game of the season, that um, a couple of days before, Steve, that was a huge task undertaken there to come into a new club, start building up the squad and also get them playing back a style of football we hadn't seen in a few years was was dramatic. And at times it was too dramatic, wasn't it? And that's we suffered quite a bit over his over his tenure there where players were just not quite at the uh, level he needed them to be. Well, I, I remember in the first game, I think it was about 20 seconds into it at Blackburn, <laughs> And Latibold, yeah, blast one back to Fisher, and I think me and you locked eyes as if to say, "Oh, it uh, was Ben." If it was Fisher, who was going in. It was Bender, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah, of course it was Bender. Fisher wasn't here at that point, was he? Um, first, remember, you you wonder, don't you, when a new manager comes in and wants to, you know, change the style of it? Are they gonna? Is it going to be a more gradual thing? Like I remember when Martinez came in, like he didn't really have the players at the start. We had a couple of injuries. I remember we played a four-four-two with O'Leary and Ian Craney in midfield, which obviously is not really a Martinez thing. But he had to make do, and we didn't really, you know, he didn't go full pelt with his the style he wanted until the next season. And you were looking at the current manager then and thinking, well, what's he going to do? Is he going to, you know, is it going to be a little bit more bitty while he tries to introduce it, or is he going to go the whole hog straight away? And obviously, he went yeah. the whole hog straight away. And you know, there were prices to pay for it. Um, you know, but we did, you know, it, we had good good runs and, and bad runs, didn't we? I think that's a way of looking at it. I mean, but. You know, what he really needed was a little bit more back in the transfer market, not ridiculously, but just a little bit more. But obviously, the manager did have his flaws as well. I mean, Fisher, I don't need to say that much, I don't think. Um, nowhere near up to it. And I'm sure the new manager will uh, take one look at him and think the same thing. I mean, this latter Baudier blind spot. Um, you know, I mean, every manager's got their flaws, haven't they? But you do wonder as well sometimes whether we were a little bit guilty of being a little bit over the top and not smelling danger and being poor at seeing games out as well. So there there were weaknesses, but there, look, there were there were plenty of good moments, weren't there? I mean, 
four fixtures instantly spring to mind. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure I don't need to uh, remind you what four they are. The thing is, as you said, he he is very streaky, wasn't he, Martin? You he'd be, you know, the absolute toast of the town when you you you're on a winning streak, and all of a sudden, then you're wondering where your next points are going to come from because he's fallen off the edge of a cliff. Um, and it was only until the last few games of his reign that we both said to each other, didn't we? We might, you might have clicked you. And um, to to defer anyone who would think maybe, oh, you know, he's, you know, changed their view. But ultimately, we we've been saying for quite some time that this wing back system is killing us. We cannot play with our wing backs. If we're going to play with West, they cannot be as high as Martin wants to play them because we've got centre-backs then covering wing-back positions. It was a mess. We got turned over time and time again and um, outnumbered at the back as well. And it was just crazy mess. And right up until the last eight or nine games of his reign, we were seeing that. And then he changed. And then he went to, to four at the back. And um, I think, was he was Lati injured or suspended or, or maybe both? But anyway, you know, you, you put Harry Darling and then we went to a flat back four and uh, all of a sudden the, the goals stopped going in. And, he, we, you know, we had Fisher and goals, which we've, we've obviously pointed out his flaws uh, during his time uh, since he's joined the club. But even in that situation, we found we were a lot sturdier at the back. So, yes, there were times throughout his reign where you thought, here, it's going to be good, it's going to be bad. But right at the end, we thought, actually... If he's seen the light here now, then there's a bright future for us. It's just so typical that we'd done this a week or two earlier, then we'd have got into the playoffs, and dare I say it, we'd have been the form team to go into the playoffs, and no one would have wanted to face us, and we may be having a completely different conversation now. Uh, Completely different. I mean, it would be a brave man to allow a a Premier League manager to walk out of the club. So it would be very interesting to see how they There is one other way I would look at it. And how can I put this? You know, if we'd made the playoffs last year, like in spite of the, basically the shit show of the ownership in terms of backing the manager, Uh you wonder if that could have been dangerous for the long term in terms of, they'd be going, well, we don't really need to do much, do we? Because we got in the playoffs anyway. And we know that looking at this season, for example, if you didn't go up, then it does look a lot harder, doesn't it? And I think the same type of approach could have had bad consequences. So that's one other way I would look at it. Yeah, I would say to that is we have had a significant change of boardroom level as well that yeah. seems to have brought with it a different mindset. And obviously we'll talk about that in, in more length uh, later on. But in terms of how we seem to be approaching things now, um, the guys that have come in at boardroom level have a... Well, let's break it down. Well, the guys that were here, Levy and Kaplan, Silverstein, seem to have a let's try and recoup our losses mentality let's try and if we've got an asset here we need to sell it we need to make some money back we need to try and recoup our losses at the same time keep Swansea bobbing along new guys have come in they seem to have a mindset of I want we want this team back in the Premier League we want this team to go up there the only way this team becomes worth something our investment becomes worth something is if this team is successful so in fresh impetus fresh ideas fresh motivation and I'm hoping when we talk about this in a, in a little bit, Steve, that we, we both think in the same things that this, this new ownership uh, or investors that have come into the club have a, 
ambitious plans, uh, albeit within reason and not jeopardising the future of the club, but also with an ambition to move us on. Because if you haven't got hope in football, you've got nothing. Um, so Martin leaves. He's gone. Um, how would you assess his time as a whole? Uh, would you say it was a successful period for Swan? So is it a right? Was he the right man at the right time? How would you look back on his time here? Um, it's, it is a tough one. I mean, the, like I said, it was, it's quite mixed, really, wasn't it? But I do think he's left us in a better position than when he's found us, which ultimately is what you you always ask of a manager. And I think that is the case. And you know, I think you know you think of someone like Flynn Downs coming in and we sold him for big money. I mean, deals like that are quite vital for us, I would say, as a club now. So. You know, he deserves credit for that because Cooper didn't bring anybody in who um, we were able to shift on for big money, really. So, you know, that's I think that's certainly one way of of looking at it. I know, obviously, we didn't sign Cooper when Martin was here, but you know, obviously, we're, we're um, oh, sorry, we're Perot, um, Perot, we're yeah, yeah, we're not like you know, we we all think he might go. I'm sure we'll discuss that as well. But I mean, there's there's money to be made there, for example. So I think we. We need a little bit of, of those type of deals as well. Maybe that's what we've done now with a couple that we've brought in this summer. But, um, you know, th- those things are important. So I think he hasn't really harmed the, the long-term future of the club with some of the deals that he's done. I mean, there's not to do one or two poor ones. I'll mention Fisher again because it's impossible not to. But, um, you know, I think you also want to look back and say, were there games that you really enjoyed? And, I mean, there were games where we played really well, but... I mean, we can't not mention the 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 double dupe because you know it's just unbelievable. Particularly the the two away ones, I would say. I mean, the, the two best ways in football to win are to give someone a pace in, or to win in the last minute. Yes. And you know, we did both of them in consecutive years away to our arch rivals. So you know, I think it would be very difficult to anyone to look back at that and just not think that both of those games are right up there with anything I've ever seen. So. You know, they, you can't really take them away from us. And, you know, to have a manager who played four derbies and won all four, I mean, regardless of what happens in the future, I mean, that's that's a very special record, really. So, you know, and, and their memories that will, will last forever. And I think, you know, it, it might take the fixture turn in the other way where, you know, eventually at some point it will, and we will lose to Cardiff. And then you look back at it and go, God, we were spoiled there with four wins and some of them in particular, you know, very special. So, you know, they're, they're going to be, the, I think ultimately he's going to be remembered, isn't he, as a, the um, the South Wales derby king, I would have yeah. thought, just to come. And, and, and rightly so. I mean, you, you just look at the lyrics of the, the Swansea City song. We're talking about, uh, you know, beating beating Spurs and with Aussie Ardealers and stuff like that. And you think, um, this guy's done something that no one's ever done in 110 years. And then to completely take the piss, he's done it again, you know, and and he will rightly go down in Swansea City history forevermore. Um, and, you know, you can talk 30, 40, 50 years down the line, there'll only be one first double and the story will be told that we went back the next year and we did exactly the same again. This was the era of utter domination and we were in the same league. This wasn't like... Premier League versus Division Two. This was same league um, and utter domination. And and he will be remembered as time goes by and wounds heal and people stop thinking about the the moments we're talking about now, the capitulations and stuff like that. 
when the dust settles and all that, Steve, you'll rightly go away with one hell of a legacy here. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, look, we all, there's so many great memories we've had on years. We've, we've been really spot, haven't we? I mean, Valencia will always spring to mind those numerous victories um, over the top sides in the Premier League, the, the playoff final, of course, um, winning the League Cup. Um, you know, even back to, you know, in my youth, you think of those West Ham, the, the, the two games of West Ham in the FA Cup. Yeah. Um, I suppose the, the two water glass finals, uh, the various um, other promotions that we had. Um, and, you, you know, the, the derby games always play key parts in it, don't they? I mean, if you, suppose a good way of looking at it is if you, if you have a season where, you know, you're in the middle and, and not a lot is happening, those games sort of take on that extra significance because it will give you something to really look back on. And you look at it, really, we had two mid-table seasons under Martin, but we've ended up winning the derbies in both seasons. So, you know, it just puts that extra bit of gloss on it, really, doesn't it? It does. It does. And those are the things that 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 that, that last, don't they? And, and I think, like I say, the the Birmingham 4-3 and stuff like that, they'll they'll fade. Um, eventually, I hope that'll fade from my mind <laughs> because it just feels a lot short all over it. But, um, you know, there was a lot of... Um, it was a big mess at the back. I think that was one of the things that, in the immediate aftermath of him leaving, is uh, one of the things that I remember right now is how messy we were at the back. And for a player who spent his career in defence, that baffles me because um, he was just so open. I know he talked about bravery and stuff like that, but he was shooting himself in the foot week in, week out. And there was seemingly no game management. You know, uh, it's, I think one of the most jarring experiences under Russell Martin for me was Millwall at home when we were comfortable in the game, uh, 2-0 up. I don't need to tell you and bring this to your memory, but for the listeners. Um, and they scored. We scored an own goal very, very late on. And then from kickoff, bear in mind that our, our whole ethos was keep the ball, keep the ball. And then inexplicably from kickoff, we kicked it straight back to them. Almost like a, a rugby kickoff. Straight. And I thought... Of all the times we're passing sideways and backwards, which can sometimes grate on the fans, and of all the times where you think, actually, now that would be really useful for us to keep passing it about, now in the 92nd minute, maybe, and we kicked it straight back to them, and a minute or two later, it's in our net again. Um, but things like that, game management, so disappointing, Steve. Yeah, ridiculous, really. I mean, you, you mentioned there about, you know, we only just missed out on the playoffs by three points, and I mean, that was two points there, wasn't it? The Millwall game. And like everyone will concede goals late on in games and stuff like that. But I mean, to concede two in injury time, and obviously it did happen more than once. I mean, you can't uh, really offer up any explanation for that that is acceptable. So like you say, I mean, th- that Millwall game, we completely dominated it. We're tuning up, we're coasting. Yeah, they, you know, there's always an opportunity that, that the opposition can get a chance to score. Obviously, they've scored no goal. But then I really didn't get that from Grimes from kickoff where he's blasted it. I mean, just keep the ball. That's you know what what we're trying to do anyway. So you don't abandon it at the end. I mean, we've I've seen numerous numerous instances where Man City have been you know maybe been in a situation they've gone down to ten men or something like that. I remember once they played some I think it might have been Atalanta away in the Champions League. They had Kyle Walker in goal because Ederson had been sent off. And yeah, and I was watching it thinking to myself, well, surely now um, Atalanta are just going to put them under pressure trying. Uh, test the goalkeeper and said he just kept the ball. They physically couldn't get it off them. And surely that's what you have to do in that situation then. But 
So to lump it and then, you know, concede another ludicrous own goal, again, ridiculous, really. And I mean, I, I you mentioned Birmingham briefly, didn't you? And that's the other one where, you know, that's three points dropped there, isn't it? Where, again, it's a, both of those games are ones as well where we did play very well on the whole. And, you know, the opposition should have been out of sight. They should have had nowhere near an opportunity to bring back into it. But they did. And, you know, like I said, we shot ourselves in the foot and that's five points. That would have got us in the playoffs. So, you know, um, I think that's where Martin would have to take some responsibility. As as you say, I mean, defensively, it was quite embarrassing at times. I mean, some of the soft goals, you always used to look at it and think the opposition don't really have to work particularly hard to you know, to get their goals, whereas you felt a lot of ours were through nice moves or a good finish or something like that. A lot of the ones we were conceding were like soft set pieces or, you know, um, ones where a goalkeeper should have made a save. Eh, just ones along those lines, not two own goals against Millwall, quite farcical, really. And, you know, you can't concede 64 goals, which is what I think we conceded in the end, and expect to be successful. It, it is going to bite you on the backside. And, you know, if you're going to point at why we didn't get playoffs, that's the obvious reason, because I think only Middlesbrough, Sheffield United and Burnley scored more than us. So that does suggest, obviously, going forward, we were quite good. I know, obviously, Perot scored 20 goals, but they were the goals in general were quite well spread out. A lot of people chipped in. So, you know, there clearly isn't a major issue in terms of goal scoring. I mean, you'd always want to score as many as you can. But, I mean, defensively, look, as you say, I mean, Martin was a right back for the majority of his career. Um, look, you can't be conceding the, the the type of goals that we were and expect to be successful. So, you know, and I would have thought of Southampton if uh, you know they regularly conceding those type of goals, you ain't going to last there very long. Well, we'll see how he turn. Whether he takes the Russell Martin we had for eighteen months over there, Russell Martin we had for the last couple of months, which is two very different um, approaches, but. Um, to close this uh, with a positive, um, one thing Russell Martin did well from the moment he stepped foot in Swansea to the very last day here was his visibility in the community, his friendliness and approachability to the fans, his everything around him as a person was utterly exemplary. And a lot of people could disregard a lot of the stuff that they saw on the pitch because obviously we had the issues with the board, which were worse than, than what was happening. And, and we've talked about that at length. But also that Russell Martin cared. And sometimes he cared too much. Sometimes he's a bit naive in his press conferences. But you could see some things that broke him as a man. And he just thought, God, he's really struggling with, with a lot of the stuff that's going on. And um, you cannot fault him as a person in his time here, that you couldn't help but want him to do well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it was obvious that he really did care, wasn't it? Like you say, maybe too much at times. You think some of his press conferences, he was, you know, um, maybe saying too much, being a bit too honest. And you think he didn't really have a poker face, did he? I mean, he's young in his managerial career. I think he is going to learn, have to learn to try and keep his emotions in check a little bit better. I mean, I mentioned earlier, didn't I, about that? you know, the press conference they did after nobody came in in January. And, you know, I think from a fan's point of view, given how disillusioned everyone was with the owners, I think, you know, we quite, probably quite enjoyed it and respected him for it. But, I mean, for most of us, I mean, if you go into a position where you openly slag off your employer, um, it doesn't tend to end very well, does it? So it's probably not the wisest of moves. And, you know, I think if he'd waited a few days, 
then he may not have gone taken that approach. But um, he did, and you know, it probably didn't do him any favors, did it? But look, I think he he certainly needs to to learn that. I would say from his own point of view. But yeah, look, you could tell that he really seemed to enjoy it here, didn't he? Um, he mixed he mixed in the community as well. You'd see photos out in the city talking to people, football fans and non-football fans, and just a really really nice, approachable man. Yeah, he seemed to be, didn't he? Um, you know, which is great because not everybody's like that. I mean, we've had managers in the past who, you know, don't even live here, for example. So, you know, and then you're not going to see much of them at all. But um, well, Martin, I mean, moved his whole family down here, didn't he? And obviously, it was a big move for him considering he's, you know, he was at Milton Keynes and I think he was still living in like Brighton at the time. So, you know, it's a sizable move for someone like him. And, um, you know, he seemed to really, you know, put everything into it, I would say. I mean, you know, I had the impression that he was a workaholic and was desperate for us to do well. So, you know, that is to be admired, really. But, um, yeah, look, he's, at the end of the day, we're talking about a, a quite a young and inexperienced manager, really. I mean, he's, was he three and a half years of, of management, I think? I mean, it's, it's very young, isn't it? I think, he'd, you know, he would have learned a lot, I would have thought, in his time here and will take that on to his next job. But, um, you know, I think he's he certainly will have the tools there. And there'll be pressure as well, which there probably wasn't with his other the previous two jobs. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, it will. It will. And you know, I, you know, I, I, I wish him well. Although I do think that he's on a hide into nothing there. And I've, I've, I've said this to you that I think is a chance we might not even play against him. We don't play them until December, do we? And um, we've already seen them splash the cash. They've just issued new shares. I think you mentioned that earlier on the pod as well. Um, they're throwing money at this, um, the, the, the ownership group. And uh, they make no mistake about it. When you do that, you want an immediate return. <laughs> and uh, at MK Dons and Swansea, his only two managerial experiences, he did not get it right straight away. It took time. And and it'll be interesting to see how that works out there. I don't think time is a luxury he's necessarily going to be afforded. So we'll see how that plays out. But of course, our focus is on everything um, here. And um, I'm just going to deviate a little bit now, Steve. I know this is going slightly off running order, but I would like to finish the pod on um, more Swans related stuff. So in the middle of all this mess, <laughs> and whilst we were talking about what's happening with Russell Martin, what's going on here, what's going on there. Anyway, you managed to escape away to uh, follow follow the national team, didn't you? And um, well, I suppose yeah. <laughs> I suppose it was good jumping out of the frying pan into the fire, really, with um, with having to go and watch that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I was quite looking forward to the break. I mean, obviously, we'd had a good few weeks without going to live football, and the Swans had, you know, the the whole thing with Martin. I think at that point wasn't resolved, and he was just a bit like downhearted by it and wanting the resolution and. You know, I was looking forward to what I thought would be a reasonable international break for Wales. I mean, a home game with Armenia that you're expecting to win. And, um, you know, a trip to Turkey where, you know, that was always going to be a tough game. But, you know, as long as the points were on the board from um, the first game, um, you know, you were looking at it and thinking, well, if we were to lose, still in a, a reasonable position. But obviously, we'll then most likely have to beat the same opposition in the final home game. But, I mean, it was an absolute disaster, wasn't it? I mean, you can't look at it in any other way. Um, I mean, to lose at home to Armenia, to concede four to them, uh, I, I honestly got no words for it. I mean, every time they went forward, they thought they were going to score. Um, I think Page picked a side that was far too open, leaving um, 
I think it was well Ramsey and Ampadu in the middle, and it's been seen before that it doesn't work. I mean, look, I I slaughtered Page after the World Cup, and if I'm honest with you, I am fuming that he's still in a job because he is out of his depth. He is only in a job. Was only in the job in the first place because, um, you know, by default, really. I mean, you can't sack a manager when he's been suspended and you know is innocent until proven guilty. But um, then, obviously, I think they've been masked by the fact that we qualified for the World Cup. But in reality, we were lucky, I would say. Um, you know, when we were over reliant on one man who has now retired. So. Yeah, um, and I think the FAW have got their heads in the shed over this and they need to act because, you know, the chance of top two is gone. They're in with a reasonable chance in the playoffs if they were to formulate a decent plan. But with this manager, who'd be lucky, I can't see it. So, um, yeah, a, a, a shocking uh, few days really for Wales, wasn't it? Probably our worst in a very long time, wasn't it? Well, you say this and, and Rob Page's comments after Armenia said, oh, this is a slap in the face for us. We didn't see this coming at all. And I thought, didn't you watch us at the World Cup? <laughs> you know, it shouldn't have been a massive surprise to him that we weren't firing on all cylinders and it needed um, some some brave, strong management. It wasn't forthcoming from him. And I found, a bit, I found it a bit galling that he was to say something like that after, um, after the, the, the dismal show in, in Qatar and um, seeing us the way we played well. What's the run like now, Steve? It's 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 really poor, isn't it? You know, was it like one win in ten or something like that? Or I can't remember how long it is. But it's a it's a it's a bad run that we found ourselves on, and um, it seems to be somewhat oblivious to it. You know, like everything is like, oh, I thought it would be fine, and uh, not, not share, the rot is a worry. Yeah, I mean, look, I I do agree that obviously when you get into Nations League and you're paired with the Dutch, the Belgians, and the Poles. Look, that is tough. You're not going to come out of that with, you know, you're not going to get loads of wins there. But, I mean, look, we, the, the issue, I think, with a lot of the early games in that Nations League was probably that because the Ukraine was also sandwiched in there, we did have to, you know, completely prioritise that, which makes sense. Um, so it's not a surprise that we struggled in those those summer games, really. I think, when you look at it, the Dutch, we played twice in that period. And we equalised in the last minute and then conceded again. I mean, for, the, for that to happen twice is really disappointing, for example. I mean, losing at home to Poland, I would say that's disappointing. You would expect better than that, really. Um, and then, but you go on to the World Cup, and I think not often, it's, it's more the performances, I think, than the results. I mean, a, a draw oh, yeah. with, with the US at the World Cup isn't a bad result in the grand scheme of things. I did think we were poor, especially in the first half. Second half is all right. I mean, but Iran completely outplayed us. We're talking here about a team that never do anything in World Cups other than make up the numbers. They only qualify because they're from a weak qualifying section. And um, I'm not being funny, but I, I think Noel Mooney may have said it, and I, I went to a while back where they were saying, that, oh, you know, but it was nil-nil until the end. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, it was, but that doesn't mean we deserved it. I mean, the, the truth yeah, is, all they were all well. over us. Yeah. I, you know, and I think the same was said about England. It was nil-nil at half-time. Yeah, it was. We were offering absolutely nothing. So... You know, I think that's what annoys me. And, you know, look, the Croatia game, look, we're delighted with the draw. It's a really good draw on paper. That was smash and grab, though, that was, wasn't it? Well, we hung in there, didn't we? Which you, arguably you have to do. And then we, we made a chance come, which is great. But, I mean, if you really thought that we deserved that draw, I mean, you're in cloud cuckoo land. And, you know, um, the Latvia game, yeah, we've won 1-0. It wasn't convincing, though, at all, I didn't think. And, you know, the, the comment, as you say, about the slap in the face, it was a slap in the face. 
But I do think it had been coming probably over a prolonged period, if I'm honest with you. Because, I mean, even if you look back to some of the other games, like before that, like the Ukraine game being a great example, we were outplayed, but we just got away with it, which is great because we meant we went to the World Cup. But it doesn't mean that you're looking at it and thinking, well, this is positive for the future. It's just great for the moment and knowing that you go into the greatest show on earth. But, yeah, look, Page to me is is out of his depth. I mean, this, you know, he should be nowhere near that job. And, you know, I understand why he got it. Four-year contract, you just think, can't be serious. Who the hell was coming in for him other than Cardiff? And if they had, it would have been ecstatic. In fact, I'd still be ecstatic. But, <laughs> look, you know... Um, I, I can't, I, I can't fathom it with Page. I, I really can't. And you know, I'm, I, I, the worst thing is, I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, I, I think they've got their head in the shed over this. I think the only thing that might result in him getting fired is if we go to Latvia and lose. But if I'm honest, I, I don't think that. Down, it? Well, it doesn't look impossible to me. Like I'm looking at it and thinking, are we going to go there and win? Yeah. Really not sure we are. So you know, and. Look, we, what was good about Wales previously was we were hard to beat. It might not be great going forward. Obviously, we did have that. You know, we had Bale that would usually conjure up something. And obviously, Ramsey was you know a better player then than than where he is now. Obviously, he's, he's on the way down. But I mean, but there's no excuse though for being so open defensively and conceding so many bad goals. So that has to improve. But we we honestly just look shapeless, I think. And um, you know, the manager for me just doesn't have it. It's fairly obvious and. Um, you know, but unfortunately, the people that it should be obvious to, it isn't. So it is a real problem. But look, there is a get-out-of-jail-free card in terms of a playoff. But um, if they want to win it, I think they need to appoint a serious manager. I mean, big money came into the association um, when we qualified for the World Cup. Why can't some of that go on to a more high-profile manager? Um, certainly one who knows what he's doing, because this bloke doesn't in the slightest. Yeah, and you know... Money for qualifying for major tournaments is uh, is like gold dust to the FAW in in its entire history, really, isn't it? So to to but, turn but yeah, up, exactly, arguably a page for itself, doesn't it? Exactly. I mean, you need to be looking at stuff like that and thinking um, this is a new era of Welsh football. It's been that way now for the last 10, uh, 10 15 years, and um, going back as far as uh, Gary Speed and stuff. And then you think, oh, Toshak, and you, you look at that and you think bringing that to an end because of some stubborn few hundred K here or there, whatever to pay off for a page seems absolutely bonkers. And um, you could reignite. There's still good players there. Some of the youngest, uh, most exciting players around um, Don the Welsh shit, you know, we're talking like Sir Brennan Johnson and stuff, but um, you want to be taking advantage of that now and, and give someone who can give them the license to play and the discipline so that we don't do what we just did against Armenia and collapse every time we lose the ball. So um, I completely agree with you. You're obviously the, the more um, knowledgeable voice on that. You travel, watch Wales games, talk to Wales fans. What's the general feeling amongst the fans you were speaking to on your trips? Do you, are they all of the same mindset? Is there some that are really believing in Rob Page, or is it kind of people thinking now would be a good time to cut ties? Well, it's it's quite rare, isn't it, in football where you speak to a lot of people and pretty much everyone is saying the same thing. But that is actually the case with this. I mean, I spoke to plenty of people in in Cardiff, you know, pre-match around a couple of pints and stuff like that. The mm. word believers in Page, but obviously people were not really sticking the boot in at that point because nobody was really expecting a loss to Armenia. But um, yeah. then obviously we've gone from there to 
flew over to Samsung the next day, spoken to a few people. Obviously, the general feeling is, you know, very much disillusionment. And, um, you know, obviously over there then for a few days, it was the same thing. And I remember in the airport after the Turkey game, um, coming back and yeah, everybody that I, I recognised and spoke to said the same thing, you know, that he, he hasn't got it basically. And, you know, I spoke to one or two from the press. I, I won't uh, name names on this. Yeah. But, um, you know, but you, you can tell they're not really with him. But also, I mean, if you look at the tweets from various people as well who were in the press, it's the same thing. So I really think that in terms of the fans and the media, there isn't as hardly any support for Robert Page. I think people just do with us, you know, um, he's a man who's who hasn't got it. And, you know, I think at this stage, people would just be like, look, just, just make a change and nobody's really going to get on his back too much. But I do think it's, it's going to escalate quite badly if now they, you know, it gets worse, which it may well do. Um, and like I said, I don't think they're going to make a change. So... Well, well, I can't believe, um, I couldn't believe watching it, that we were in that game against Turkey for as long as we were. It almost feels like now that the stuff in that we really should have got, <laughs> could they have two or three different goals? Well, I, I, <laughs> I do remember it could have that. Been, it could have been 5-0, five, five couldn't it? Well, the, the funny thing is, they didn't actually create a huge amount of chances against us, as much as we were like sitting deep. But I do remember thinking, when obviously the, the, the goal goes in early on, that gets ruled out for offside, Yeah, that my heart sunk and thinking... Oh my God! Like that was the ball, isn't it? Yeah, you just think, how is this now going to end? Because even pre-match, I don't know what it sounded like on the TV, but it was very loud in that ground, even when it was half full, and then when it was yeah. full, like it, I was just looking around, thinking, this is very loud, passionate, in, intimidating. We're, we're low on confidence. We're missing a couple of players. Like, how on earth are we going to get a result here? And obviously, throw in a red card as well. <laughs> yeah, and that that too. Um, you know, but it was a weird one in that sense. They, as much as they were all over us, they, they had the two offside goals, and obviously Ward, to be fair, didn't have a great international break at all. I didn't think, but did make a very good save from the penalty. Yeah, but they were they were all over us without really asking too many questions. But I mean, when you know the, the game is being played in your half for almost all of it, the game, especially in the second half, you know, you're asking a lot to hang on, anyway. And I think what annoys me as well is, you know, the page afterwards would have just come out and gone, I was some sort of like defensive masterclass, and he would have gone, look, okay, defensively, we did make, we didn't make it necessarily easy for them, but you're massively reliant on the opposition not taking their chances, aren't you? Which is what happened for a lot of the game, but being yeah. a millimetre offside and stuff, you know, and things like that. I mean, you can't legislate for that, and you certainly can't call it tactics if. Uh, you get a, you, you manage to get him a hairline offside, but yeah, it's um it, it it was one of those things you came away from and just thought, well, if he's not gonna if he's not gonna get sacked now, then you worry about the um Wills's qualification chances going forward because now would be a well right after Turkey really would have been a great chance just to say thank you, great job getting us to the World Cup, yada yada, all the platitudes and stuff whether you believe that or not, and then and then part ways. But um, especially if what I've read is to be believed that is not, it's just a set set fee to pay him up, whether we do it now or in a year's time. So it does feel like um, time is of the essence there, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, let's be honest about it. I know I went to the World Cup and everything, but, you know, and it was great to go to a World Cup, but we all know that the fan experience of going somewhere like Qatar really isn't great. No. There's like, Surely everyone is looking at the next Euros in Germany and thinking, well, this is more or less perfect, isn't it? So, you yes. know, that's not that far. 
massive grounds, easy to get around, great for socialising and stuff like that. So to not be there would be devastating, wouldn't it? Especially when you feel like, you know, you are good enough to be there. Now, I know we're not as good as we have been, but to pretty much say that we're now out of contention for top two at the halfway mark of the group is completely unacceptable. So, you know, and I can't believe that anyone thinks that is the case. I mean, look, I'm, I could understand, to be honest, if we weren't in the top two at this point, because... You know, I, I thought we'd, we'd beat Armenia, and I did think we may lose to Turkey, especially then when, you know, the likes of Ben Davis, um, you know, are, um, you know, he didn't travel, did he? Um, for no. example, Brennan Johnson picked up a knock in the game. We had a red card. You put that all together, you know, the chances are you probably are going to lose. But the problem is when you've already lost Armenia, you can't afford to lose. But you're also looking at it and thinking, well, we are going to lose, aren't we? So, you know, I think it's the Armenia one that's done the damage, really, isn't it? I mean, as much as if we had won in Turkey after losing to Armenia, arguably it's the better outcome because Turkey are the bigger threat in terms of qualifying. Yeah. You just can't accept a, a loss to Armenia. I mean, how can a nation like that score four against you? I mean, it, genuinely, it's like a throwback to the dark days under the likes of Bobby Gould. Mm. It is. It is. I'm going to leave that as the, as the last in thought <laughs> of what uh, to assess. Yeah. Get, um, page, get it compared to Gouldie. Yeah, that, exactly that. Leave that as the final thought of the yeah, road. Well, all we need now is that Gouldy once had us training in Usk prison and they got locked in accidentally. It's like, can we please do that again and just lock the manager in and then someone else has to take us? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? You know, people, are they, they can't all not understand the situation. They know the consequences of acting and the consequences of not acting. And those people are paid handsomely to make those decisions. Hopefully they'll come to the right solution sooner rather than later. Um, let's move back to the Swans now. And then Steve, to um, to finish off part one of this bumper podcast and uh, talk about uh, comings and goings pre-Duff. Uh, of course, we were waiting on the Russell Martin thing for so long that we um, just allowed contracts to expire. Um, and uh, two of those who have left the club are Ryan Manning and Joel Latabodier. Um I suspect you have very different opinions on these two leaving. Um, yeah, just a bit. Um, well, look, Manning, I thought I think we all felt would go, and I I don't think it's a massive uh, shock he's gone to Southampton. I think it's quite a sensible move for him. It'll be you know, like I say, it's it's a good move. Um, you know, he'll do well. It's a big loss. We need to replace him. Obviously, that's something we haven't done yet. So, yeah, that it's disappointing. I think you do wonder if maybe we'd acted earlier. Maybe we could have kept him. But look, it is what it is now. And I think we just maybe need to learn one or two lessons from that. Maybe we will, given that things are a little bit different behind the scenes. I mean, Lata Baudier, um, he could have stayed as a backup and that wouldn't have bothered me. But look, he's not a first-team player. I really don't understand why... Martin seemed to, you know, pretty much select him every game. We're talking about a limited player here. And, um, you know, I, I don't think anyone's particularly bothered that he's um, that he's gone. I mean, where he goes will be interesting. But um, I suppose until he has got a club, then, um, you know, this it's not impossible he'd return. But, I mean, look, the new manager's been with us for a couple of weeks now. He would have thought if he was coming back here, it would have been uh, sorted out reasonably quickly and it hasn't. So I'm fairly sure that... Um, Latter Baudier would be going somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, look, Joe Latter Baudier was, uh, he did in the end pick up a couple of sympathetic um, 
fans who thought, Do you know what? And this is worth mentioning. He spent uh, the whole of the Russell Martin's time here playing as a, a right wing back, and he's not a right wing back ever, is he? Um, so I think in that in that sense, he's a limited player, also playing in the most demanding position in our formation. Um, as we've seen, the goals we've conceded down from from our wing backs being too high, it is that we've asked a hell of a lot of our wing backs, and um, he was already limited before that. So um, it's an incredibly tough position for him, and unfortunately. He was the man, the utility man that filled the gap. Um, we tried and the club tried and we had two or three right backs come in over the course and uh, they all fell by the wayside and no one got in above Latibodier. So they're either absolutely terrible fullbacks that we brought in or there's a blind spot, as you mentioned earlier on. And um, yeah, so I don't think there's going to be anyone's going to lose any sleep over Latibodier going, wish him well wherever he goes. And um yeah, Ryan Manning, it's going to be a big loss, isn't it? It's not just, um, obviously he's a character, but he was uh, decent on set pieces or putting balls into the box he was very good at, had a goal in him as well. So there's there's a few attributes of Manning's game which we'd be looking to replace, probably with a couple of players because we're dreadfully short in that, in that position, aren't we? Yeah, we are. I mean, there's still a lot better here, of course, which... You know, we, we tend to forget about, but I mean, Martin didn't give him a look in at all, did he? I mean, there's a new manager here now, so it, it is effectively a, a clean slate. So he may have an opportunity to, um, you know, play, but the fact that he hasn't at all suggests that, you know, maybe he won't. But look, they're going to have to bring somebody in, aren't they, on that side? As, you know, I would, I'd arguably say that that's currently the key position that we, we need to recruit above all else, because at least all, in all the other positions, there are, sort of options aren't there um yeah yeah i mean that and um a goalkeeper i would say <laughs> i knew you were going to finish that sentence with a goalkeeper um but yeah certainly it's been very interesting this is did you see the pre-season video um out in spain i haven't yet to be honest well because uh they looked like they were doing some uh triathlon event or whatever Stephen Bender you can tell me he's not going to be back till Christmas time on that video's evidence I can't believe that's the case because he was and I mean listen I'm not a doctor but he was bouncing around jumping on the treadmill and jumping back off and running and swimming and looked completely able and mobile and no there was no management in that video of his knee there was no like careful you know make sure you do the no he was just running and running, jumping in and jumping off and stuff. So fingers crossed he's, he's further along his recovery than um, than was first feared. But just based on the 10-minute the video they put up, that looked like one of the fitter, fitter players in the squad, to be honest. They looked very uh, very mobile and very uh, agile, which is something you wouldn't expect from a uh, recovering ACL, would you? So it's, um, it's very interesting to see... Uh, uh, to see that but we'll hope that he'll be back sooner or later and I do expect the club will dip into the market to uh, to, to provide a cover or first team option until his return um, yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens there but goes without saying Ryan Manning that is an absolute priority to replace now and interesting to see if now that that maybe we were still in discussions with Ryan Manning up until last week or something Steve maybe that was something that was on the let's try and get him back 
and when he's gone to Southampton. Now, maybe we'll see that something happen there because a lot of things have started happening quite quickly and very much behind the scenes. So probably we will have signed two of them before this podcast goes out. <laughs> so we'll probably be out of date. But yeah, be interesting to see what happens there. Um, it's not just on the pitch. We've seen a couple of changes either. The most significant ones, um, Steve, have happened in behind the scenes and uh, some major, major movement at boardroom level and, of course, on the club staffing level. Um, and so far, apart from one horrendous blip, which we've discussed on a previous podcast from uh, the new chairman, um, so far things look like they're they're looking positive. We did say on numerous podcasts, this club cannot be successful until there's a change at the top. No matter what you do on the pitch, we need a change at the top. And, and a change is what we're getting. Yeah, it is. I mean, look, I think ideally what you'd want is like a full sale. But I mean, that was always going to be unlikely. But I think for new people to come in and, you know, to buy shares and, you know, it, I think the proof's always in the pudding, isn't it? I mean, we I think we'd all had a guts full and we have of what was going on here previously. I mean, leaving managers short and, and dealing with transfers late on and you know, almost feeling like you miss out on your main targets then because you're not acting and and all this type of thing. I mean, look it, it drives you off the wall in the end, doesn't it? But um it you know, the things have, have changed. I mean, you've only got to look at what's what's gone on really so far. Um the fact that some players have come in before anybody's gone, then it does indicate change. So I think that that's good, really, isn't it? Because I mean, let's be honest. I think Jason Levy, and in particular, people have genuinely just had a gutsful, and like it doesn't matter what he does now. Um, people uh, are not having him and, and want him to leave, and certainly if he's not going to leave, to be more in the background because it, it feels like he's been a big problem for us. So yeah, I mean, I think Nigel Morris in particular is has been through, successful through his life and obviously he's got a lot of money. I'm not saying I'm expecting him to, you know, back us ridiculously, but it's sort of good to have someone like that there who, you know, um, you, you always think if there's a problem, there's, there is money behind him. So look, it'll be what their long-term plan is for us. will will be interesting, won't it? But, um, you know, changes have been made. Obviously we've got a new chairman now. I think, as you say, the, the, the strange statement that he made wasn't very encouraging, but, I mean, in the interview that he's done more recently, it did seem a little bit better. And, and yeah. obviously, we brought in a, a sporting director as well, haven't we? Um, so it feels now as if football people, which is what they've said, are making football decisions, which is is vital, really. I mean, we, we don't want idiots making decisions, which we've had previously. So, you know, I think it just feels now like there's a bit more of a, a plan there and an understanding of, you know, how we want to go. So, um yeah, I think we there can be some cautious optimism here. The thing is, um, and and this is it's completely alien to me because even in our best years with with Hugh Jenkins and Lee Deneen, um obviously local boys come good and stuff, saved the club, etc. And we know the backstory. Um, however, they had. Um, more than tons of unprofessional traits about them. Jenkins in particular. You can talk about Dan James. You can talk about Roberto Martinez going to Wigan and stuff. And there was a lot of stuff where um, he would be like, um, 
he was he's admitted on I can't remember what podcast it was I listened to a few weeks ago, but he was speaking on on one of those and you know he was learning on the job of course he wasn't necessarily a someone who'd had years of experience in the industry and he was learning and picking up and stuff so every transfer window he'd have but also he was an open book you everything got leaked to the press and stuff that everyone knew each other in Swansea so nothing went remained a secret so this even in our greatest years we didn't actually have this sense of where you think actually are we are we being run now by football people and are we going to be run professionally are we like some of the signings we've made which nobody's had a sniff of they haven't been in the press at all so are we now being run as an actual football club because if we are I don't know how to take that I've never seen us be run in that manner before so it's really interesting you mentioned the new sporting director Paul Watson might turn out to be the most significant uh, staff signing in many years for us because here is a man that knows how to work within a budget and knows how to work with other people as well in football. As you say, he's a football man and he could be huge for us. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, Luton have been very successful over the last few years. So obviously a key part of being successful is recruitment and, um, you know, um, so you have to give credit for that. And it looks like an astute appointment, doesn't it? And obviously we, we should, in theory, have a bigger budget than Luton to work with. So that's probably why he's come here. I mean, if he'd known they were going to go up, he might not have. But um, yeah, I think the decision was made before then, luckily for us. But look, I think it's encouraging. It just feels as if we've got better people in position now to make the decisions that, you know, need to be made. So look, we've, we've got to be encouraged. I mean, it's... These things will take time. I mean, we've, we have brought some players in, which we'll discuss in part two, I think, won't we? But um, yeah, look, it does. It feels like a good sign um, to bring someone like that into the club rather than having essentially an, you know, someone across the pond who thought that Dan James being moved on loan to Leeds was a good move. So, um, you know, we now, it now seems as if we've got someone good and proper doing it and that's what we need. Yeah, and... Um... I said this to town. I don't think I said it on a podcast because we haven't brought it up yet. It hadn't happened yet. But um, the idea of we talked. You'd mentioned Morris there. Someone coming in, putting a significant amount of money into the club. Um, you know, eight digits. Um, you're looking at that, thinking there's no way he comes into this. I mean, listen, it's the worst kept secret in football. This absolute car crash of a football club, which is what we are at this current juncture. Um, and says, I'm going to put in £10 million and I'm going to let you carry on. There's not way he's going to do that. It's just absolutely no fathomable conversation where he goes, you're doing a grand job, lads. Crack on. Here's loads of money to spunk up the wall or not spunk or whatever you're going to do with it. Just waste it. Because he's, and he's a, as you mentioned, a very successful businessman. We're expecting another investor to be announced in due course. Um, for whatever reason, that's not come to the front yet. But um, he comes in, Steve, and he's going to want to have a significant voice in the boardroom. And I think perhaps that is where the change is happening. The change, as I mentioned earlier on, in mentality of rather than let's scrape together all the pennies we can and make sure that we, you know, recoup some of our losses. New guys have come in, demanded a significant voice in the boardroom, maybe even overall control and then said everything that's happening on the football pitch Andy Coleman now is going to be the guy it's not going to go across the pond he's going to be the voice of all of us 
in Swansea, etc. Paul Watson, recruitment is his say. He can work with Andy, etc. And Josh Marsh. So everything seems to be a lot more localised and professional now. And the upper echelons of the club, it feels like the voices are changing up there as well, which, as I said at the start of this piece, Steve, is what we all said needed to happen if this club was going to have a chance of success again. Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, to be fair, that that now has happened by the looks of it. I mean, the proof would be in the pudding, as it always is, because, you know, when you can't make judgments too quickly. But, like, I think the early signs are definitely positive. Um, things, you know, needed to change, didn't they? As, as you said, I mean, we couldn't carry on as we were. I mean, I, I do honestly think that if things didn't change and we decided to carry on the way that we were going, that eventually League One would have uh, been our destination because, I mean, you look at the, the league this year, <coughs> the relegated teams look tougher. The ones that have come up, uh, you know, I would say that they look better than the ones that have gone down. So, you know, I, I do think then that if we were to do poor business in the transfer market, could have been a difficult season for us, but I do feel a little bit more optimistic now about things. So I think that's the, the most important thing, really, that, you know, and as you say, we, we all need hope, don't we? I mean, I don't want to be going into every transfer window and just thinking this is going to be another shit show here and, you know, we're going to be left short and we're going to, you know, have to struggle to get X amount of points to stay up and all this type of thing. Whereas now, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm expecting us to be, you know, especially successful, but... I just have a bit of hope that we can compete a bit more. And, um, you know, that that's what we need, really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, if this could happen 12 months ago, after the awful championship league we've just seen, then you'd have thought we'd have comfortably finished inside that top six. Um, but as it happens, we're having a significant change in what looks like the most competitive championship that we may have ever been in, in my opinion. Obviously, we were in the Premier League for, for quite some time anyway. So, But and we, we've been competitive. Look, as you mentioned, the teams that have come down and gone up are all strong and add into the teams in this league who are happy to, you know, go out, look at Sunderland going in and going big on the sign-ins and stuff and trying to go Coventry selling Victor Gokeres for 24 million euros. Absolutely crazy money. Um got money to burn, you know, and stuff like that. And clubs are improving across the board. So we've had to improve, Steve, just to just to tread water here, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you stand still in this game, you tend to go backwards. And, um, you know, I think this year would be one of those years more than any other because of how strong this division looks. So, yeah, hopefully that's, you know, we'll soon see when we at the end of August, really, what the, the situation is in terms of the squad. But obviously there's there's been changes made. So, you know, it's it, it does look um, definitely more positive in in that sense because I, I do honestly think that you know if you, if this would be a bad year to make mistakes, I think there could be dire consequences if we if we did. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know, onwards and upwards, and hopefully that by the time this comes out, there's more news which we'll have to uh, cram into part two. Um, we'll finish this podcast with the. Uh, very sad news that uh, came out a couple of weeks ago, Steve, of the passing of X1's manager, uh, John Hollins, um, who died at the age of 76. Uh, of course, best remembered here for winning the uh, third division title um, back in 2000 uh, with the most stubborn of defences I think I've ever seen. And, um, of course... 
the West Ham FA Cup we've spoken about a little earlier on as well. Everything that happened in that era was very much at the earlier times of us following the Swans, wasn't it? And we were just starting to kind of feel the love for it and everything. And thank God, because, I mean, some of those games were hard to watch, but ultimately incredibly successful with, uh, well, that back that back three of Freestone, Smith and Bound were incredibly difficult to get beyond, weren't they? So, um, yeah, that, it's a really sad uh, sad time for uh, someone who will be remembered fondly. Yeah, no, John was, you know, I, I didn't always agree with, you know, some of the decisions he made. I, I wasn't a big fan of the brand of football, but <laughs> I, I, I met him when I was mascot when we played Cardiff in 98. We won 2-1. I just remember he had such infectious enthusiasm was one of the things that struck me for it. I mean, he did genuinely love it. And then sometimes you, I used to sit in the stand and you'd go up to your seat um, before kickoff, obviously. And um, he might be coming out of like the sponsor's lounge and you'd see him there. And he'd still just be buzzing with enthusiasm. I'm not sure I've, I've seen a more enthusiastic person really as a Swans manager. But I mean, one thing you've really got to give John Hollins credit for is that um, obviously came in during an era where, you know, we really didn't have much to spend. I mean, no. He didn't make many signings during that time at all. Um, but he really got the best out of, of what he had. I mean, you mentioned there, I mean, Smith and Bound was, you know, probably as good a centre-back pairing as we had for, you know, several years around that time. We we, we had a great mean defence. And we had, obviously, look, we had Roger Freestone in the goal, who, um, you know, I would still say now was probably the best goalkeeper outside of the top two divisions. Not mm. much would um, would get past him, obviously. And, you know, our promotion campaign was, was built on that. We, did, we didn't have a lot of flair. We did have Stuart Roberts, obviously, who had some pace. I mean, the other side was Johnny Coates, who, you know, was he'd have his moments, but wasn't consistent. And then, you know, a lot of the other team, they were hard workers, when it the likes of Nick yeah. Kusak and Martin Thomas. And, you know, the strikers were prolific. We did have Walter Boyd, who we thought was going to score a lot of goals, but didn't be <laughs> flatter to deceive. But, um yeah, I mean, you you look back on that and think, well, at the end of the day, in, in our history, we've won only four times have we ever won a league title. So one of them was was with John, and obviously during that time as well. I think to get, I think we don't think we had a brilliant start to the season. I think we were sort of in mid table until about mid November time, and then we went on obviously an amazing run of uh, nine wins in a row, which beat the club record. Um, still stands to this day, and. Um, you know, that, that put us into the frame of the top three, really, and we, we didn't look back after that. So, you know, I think when for someone like John, you look back at it and think, you know, how many managers have won a league title for us and how many have got, like, a club record that you're proud of? And there's not many, and he's got two. So, you know, that's something great to to look back on. And, I mean, I look, I think eight of my first nine seasons going to the Swans were in the bottom division. And yeah. the one wasn't, as much as it was terrible, because we got relegated with a bit of a whimper. We did get out of that league because of him. So, you know, like I say, great memories. And, you know, we touched on West Ham earlier. I mean, that was my first away game. I think it was yours. Yeah. About 11 years old at the time. Um, you know, it was really exciting to go and play, you know, um, a Premier League side, wasn't it? And, you know, we should really have won the first game, from what I remember. We were the better side. Yeah. Smith has scored from a, a header from a Stuart Roberts cross. And we were looking to win. And I know that, when he interviewed Roger Freestone about well, about ten years ago now, but um, he'd actually injured his wrist in training uh, a few days before. Didn't say anything. So when Julian Dix took the shot and it screwed under him, he said, "Well, I would have added usually, but you know his, his wrist was in bits, and that's why he didn't save it." So you know, in normal circumstances, he would have. But look, 
you wouldn't really change it because then we got one of those special midweek um, yeah. games at the Vetch and we finished the job. So, you know, you, you can't moan really, can you? But yeah, you look back on that and you think, I remember there was a proper buzz about the place when, you know, we did end up uh, drawing West Ham when they're in. You know, look, I think when you're a youngster, especially, it's really exciting to play a Premier League side and to knock them out was, you know, amazing when they And I bet for everybody, they, they'll always look back on that as being like a, a really special night. He won't, uh, he won't mind me telling this story a long time and uh, a change of jobs has happened since then. But uh, my um, my dad was working the, the day the tickets came out and uh, for the West Ham game and he clocked into work and then rushed down the ticket office, got to within like the front 10 of the queue before the ticket office opened and uh, obviously with a buzzer on the city, Evening Post photographers are there to do their front page of the, the buzzer on the West Ham tie and stuff and found himself on the, uh, well, the story goes, he goes back to work after he gets the tickets and, the, and his boss says, uh, he'd been busy this morning and he made up a bit of a story. Yeah, I've been here, there and everywhere. And the boss pulls out the early edition of the Evening Post and his face is on the front page gleaming <laughs> with the tickets he just bought for West Ham. So uh, he got caught out a little bit there. But um, yeah, I was saying many years ago now. Like, I've heard many stories down the years of, uh, how can I put it, blokes doing their like lunch hour or this type of thing, going to queue for tickets for various things. I think that's one couple of the Wembley trips and stuff like that because Obviously, we're talking in the pre-internet era. That was the only way to get a ticket, wasn't it? You had to... Yeah. You, you were less likely to get caught unless you paused for a photo with an Evening Post reporter, I Yeah, that, that wasn't the point. <laughs> but I, I, do you know what? I remember that Evening Post edition. I remember seeing your dad on then thinking, Jesus, he's the first in the queue, was he? He was, but, yeah. Uh, right in, uh, yeah, that... Posing for a photo probably wasn't the wisest move, is it? Well, he's in full work gear as well. So, um, yeah, there was no mistake in uh, what had happened that morning. But, yeah, it was uh, good times, very good times. I think the John Holland's memories that I can remember was us just scoring in seemingly every home game at about the hour mark, Steve. And just we take the one to lead and then we go. And already it's about 65 minutes on the clock and the Wolf North Bank are whistling for full time <laughs> just trying to just whistling every time the ball comes into our half and stuff and uh, yeah it was still 25 minutes left to play but it was grab a goal and just become impossible to score against wasn't it it was stubborn and it took some watching but you kind of had that at the time it certainly wasn't anything like Russell Martin football you kind of thought you know they're not going to score against us we were so resolute at the back yeah, I mean, I think for all of our young years, really following the Swans, it was always a theme, wasn't there, of us being reasonable defensively, but then going forward, I mean, there was no flair or, you know, we certainly weren't free scoring or anything like that. But and the, the Hollands era probably summed it up quite well, didn't it? The fact that we were just very difficult to to break down. But as you say, we, we often, that year particularly, we often found the goal. I mean, it takes some skill to win a league title and promotion with only scoring 51 goals, doesn't it, really? <laughs> In you know, that, that's some do it. Yeah, you know, and yeah, I mean, I suppose you deserve credit for it, really. But I mean, it suggests to me in other ways that you've won a lot of games by, you know, one goal to nil, and you know, you, you've clung on, haven't you? Really? I mean, I think there was one game we beat Northampton four-one. That stands out because yeah, I remember that. That was on Sky, wasn't it? Like a Friday. Yeah, it was. I think they put it on Sky because obviously there was a bit of history there because they beat us in the playoffs. Uh-huh. But I think even then, I think we had four shots on target and they all went in. Yeah. We, we just didn't really create a lot. I mean, stuff like XG wasn't around in them days, was it? But I bet if it was, 
they'd have been looking at us and going, how the hell are this lot doing so well? But um, We yeah, would have ruined XG. It would have been laughed out of town if uh, they had to prove that we've completely turned it upside down. Yeah, it probably would have, but quite often, I know with XG as well, what they say is that it, it like catches you up later on at some point, and <laughs> I think it did the next season, so yeah, okay, it is what it is. Football was very different um, back then. I mean, good old Cyril the Swan was in his heyday, wasn't he? Um, yeah. You know, doing the, the David Beckham kick and kicking various you know, um, mascots' heads into the crowd. It was it was a different time, wasn't it? But, um, you know, look, there were some, some happy times there, and obviously it's sad to hear that but John is um, is no longer with us, really. I think he, he does certainly carry a, a place in, in the hearts of the Jack Army, certainly the ones that were, were going in that year. And, um, yeah, you know, the, like I said, the nine wins in a row, which is a club record and a league title, those games with, with West Ham. I mean, I haven't even discussed the fact I was mascot and we did beat Cardiff, which is the first time I guess yeah. beat them live. So, look, there's, there's games there that, that, that we'll, we'll take with us forever, really. So... Yeah, like I say, sad news, but um, uh, someone we won't forget. And uh, there's lots of people listening to this who have their own stories as well, because another man who is very well thought of, very approachable, very warm, and uh, as you said, his enthusiasm for the game. And, you know, I saw at the time of uh, his passing um, so many stories on, on social media about, you know, how great a person he was, not just as in a football circles, but also just as a human being. So... Um, he will be, you know, sorely missed. The club have said they will mark his passing at a home game. Um, I suspect that'll be fairly early on in the season. So, um, yeah, we'll pay our respects then as well um, for John Hollins. Um, Steve, that's about it for part one of this bumper podcast. That we managed to cram in just about everything that led up to the appointment of our new manager. We will record part two in the coming days and try and get everything up to date. God knows how we're going to do it because things are moving fast at the moment, but um, we'll try our best. But uh, I think we're just about caught up, Steve. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've caught up to a point, and we? I think this is a good time to sort of draw the line. I mean, I think it's, you know, people would be happy to have like the hour odd or wherever long it is to, to listen to <laughs> and they'll, uh, they can catch up then with uh, the other part in a couple of days. But um yeah, I think just just one of those things, really, isn't it, where we haven't had the the opportunity to record or we were waiting on other stuff. But yeah, now we can. I think we can catch up properly, and then for sure, then at some point, uh, you know, that the season preview will be upon us before we know it. Oh, absolutely! And if things keep moving at the pace they are, next podcast is going to have to be about two and a half hours long because we can't just fit it all in. But there we go. We're going to see what happens in the meantime, and hopefully more signings to talk about as well. On top of the three that have already come through the door, we'll be talking about that stuff and everything else that's gone on in the next podcast. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. That's going to be coming out in a few days after this one. But from myself and Steve, thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye bye.